why do people not say what they feel? Does that mean all surveys are inaccurate? Why does a freshly clean car feel better to drive? Why does fine taste better when poured from a heavier bottle? Why does music influence a purchase behavior? And why do we prefer some products over others? If these are some of the questions that come to your mind, then you will find answers to them on this podcast. Hi, this is Bina Shwamaya and this is Ritika. And I am joined by my co-host, Arjun Manohar. Hey, Arjun. Hey, Ritika. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So in today's podcast, we will understand what marketing is and what is wrong with the way the majority define and see it. We will also understand why human behavior and its idiosyncrasies are of paramount importance for a marketer. So if you ask someone about their perception of marketing, there are high chances of them calling it intrusive, annoying, shameful, or meaningless. Mm-hmm. Though this is not accurate, we will see that these perceptions are carried by majority and they are predominantly negative. The reason behind that, that this is not wrong, but in fact, it is true in some ways. During the course of our years, marketing has become spammy. It has become intrusive. And not just that, with advertisements about conversations you just had popping up on social media, it has become creepy too. So what is marketing? Marketing in reality is something that drives change. It helps people see a dream. It makes people understand their emotions. It is an art of beautiful storytelling at the heart of which is people. And you clearly should not do anything that messes with the heart. The bottom line, marketing was and has always been for the people. Now, a frequently used way of understanding people is by simply asking, right? Asking, how do you feel? And people will tell you the truth, isn't it? We wish that was the case, but humans are not so simple and straightforward. We are not realizing that people don't think what they feel, they don't say what they think, and they don't do what they say. I just quoted David Ogilvy here. If you find it hard to accept, then think why the answer to how are you is always fine or an excited I am good even though you might be drowning in pain. This is because our behavior is influenced by biases and bias surrounding. Maybe you are an introvert, or maybe you are afraid of being judged, or maybe you simply feel that the other person will not care. Therefore, you are less likely to receive an accurate answer if you ask people. Instead, the role of a marketer is to observe people, understand what drives them, what motivates them, what are they afraid of, And most importantly, how can we help them make a better choice? Another important aspect about humans is that the majority of the decisions are largely driven by the emotions or by the part of a brain called amygdala. Simply put, our perceptions play a crucial role in us making decisions. Now to make things a little clearer, there's a story about 18th century monarch Frederick the Great that comes to my mind. He changed people's emotions associated with potatoes. Now I know I'm talking about potatoes, but it is worth it. Trust me. So yes, potatoes. He wanted 18th century Prussian peasants to eat potatoes, so they can be at a lower risk in case of a famine and bread is in short supply. So now they have an alternative source of carbohydrates and can also be less affected in case of price fluctuations. But the problem was, people were not ready to accept potatoes. 
Some even argued that not even dogs ate them, so why should we? Though Frederick had good in his heart, he failed in multiple attempts with coercion and fines, and finally decided to use psychology. He hitched a plan and created a royal potato patch and declared potato to be a royal vegetable. He also asked a few guards to guard the potato patch, secretly telling them not to guard it diligently. He knew that when something is exclusive, people want it more, and that is exactly what he did. When the word spread, Persians were curious, and because of how this was set up, they sneaked to the farm and stole some of these special royal potatoes. And this is how potatoes were not just accepted, but appreciated by people. The same people who once considered them worthless. So by simply controlling the narrative and pitching the idea of exclusivity, drove the very same people who despised them to go out of their way to steal them. A more recent example of the same is the placebo trials in clinical drug testing. The fact is, there is no rational thinking applied here. Our acceptance and belief into these narratives drew out of the bottom of our unconscious mind. Now speaking about the unconscious mind, I recently saw your post urgent about Sigmund Freud, who created this famous iceberg model of the human unconscious. Is that something you have been studying right of lately, Arjun? Yes. Sigmund Freud, for those who don't know, is an Austrian neurologist who was able to map the human mind in as early as the 1900 in an attempt to understand human behavior. According to him, our mind is divided into three distinct parts, conscious, subconscious, and the unconscious. And he believed that each level of awareness played a crucial role in understanding human behavior. Now, going back to your iceberg analogy, the conscious part of the mind is like the tip of the iceberg. It is, mm -hmm. it is this part of the mind which is responsible for situational awareness, like reacting to a loud sound or feeling thirsty. And just like the tip of the iceberg, this makes up a tiny portion of your mind, about 10%. The second level, just below the water, is the subconscious mind. And at this level of awareness, information can quickly be recollected and passed through your conscious mind. Like remembering an episode of a TV show you saw last night. Think of the subconscious mind as a gatekeeper between your conscious and your unconscious mind. It only allows certain pieces of information to pass through and enter the conscious awareness. According to Freud, this made up 50%. And finally, we have the third layer that is the unconscious mind. This is where all our feelings, thoughts, urges and deepest hidden memories and past experiences rest. In fact, for most of our irrational behavior can be traced back to this portion of our mind. For example, you mentioned music influences people buying decisions, and that is completely true. Research conducted in wine shops concluded that daily sales for German and French wines corresponded to the music played on that particular day. That is, if you heard German music, you're more likely to buy a German wine, and vice versa. According to Freud, this made up around 40% of your awareness. So, to cite a real-life example, I'm going to use the slip of tongue, technically known as the Freudian slip. And this happens when there's an intermixing of your conscious and your unconscious state of mind.
Oh, okay. So slip of tongue is something that happens quite frequently to all of us. Mm-hmm. But if I can relate it to a very recent example I saw, is it similar to when Ross said Rachel instead of Emily at the wedding? <laughs> that is absolutely right. And I don't think I can give a better example. Okay. So you are... So you see, by understanding this differentiation, you are able to understand how people make decisions. Various neuroscience researches have shown that when our subconscious mind identifies a good opportunity to achieve a goal, it produces a positive emotion. The brain then automatically triggers a decision to seek that goal fulfillment. So as a marketer, understanding this process is the key to understanding the real reasons behind people's action. Allow me to explain. Mm-hmm. Think of all the marketing material we put up. We constantly say it needs to be powerful and contextual and relatable enough for it to appeal to the consumer's unconscious mind. But simply speaking about pros and cons through templatized marketing messages is not going to work. Remember, right. this mind does not rationalize information, it merely perceives it. This is because mm-hmm. the unconscious mind makes snap quick judgments and immediately dictates your behavior. The mind is constantly trying to relate information with your urges, feelings, and thoughts or past experiences. In simple words, it's just trying to match your schema. So the more relatable the information, the more better it is. So once the mind perceives a feeling of benefit, a decision is made. Therefore, understanding psychology of human behavior is really the key to finding out what consumers really want and how best to appeal to them. But you see, here lies the problem. You see, most of our current processes to solve marketing problems have been grounded in logic and data-driven insights. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is we seldom associate the psychological aspect of human behavior while creating such marketing plans. In fact, Mm -hmm. oftentimes, it's not even in contention as a viable option. Partly because we humans pay undue attention to trivial matters. We often wonder, can a solution be this simple? Can something so great take so little time to create? And if it takes little time, is it good enough? This Mm -hmm. is called Parkinson's law of triviality. And this explains why modern marketers sink themselves into bottomless bits of data when in reality, what we ought to be doing is trying to find a balance between the logical and the psychological. Absolutely. So, to that extent, Nike's Colin Kaepernick campaign springs to mind as an example of a campaign that struck a nice balance between logical and going with that gut feeling. Nike as a brand chose to support the player's message and support the cause. While many pundits predicted tough times for the brand ahead for associating with such a message, and the message was the police brutality against black community, much to their surprise, Nike's share of voice on social blew up. Mm-hmm. And so much so that their brand value skyrocketed. They got 31% boost in sales, 6 billion increase in brand value, and 163 million in earned media. But That's even great. If I know, right? But even if you were to keep all that monetary gains aside, Nike showed the world that even a multi-billion dollar company can stand up for what they believe in, no matter the mm-hmm. consequences. They could have let numbers and statistics and shareholders interests sway away from this campaign, but instead they chose to make a decision, an informed decision, I might say, that was analyzed logically through data 
and heuristically by understanding the importance of situation. They took a decision, taking both the logical and the psychological side of the equation into account. And this to me represents the coming together of core marketing and marketing analytics, a way of being logical and analytic while also being mindfully psychological. And as an analyst, this makes me feel really optimistic about the future of conscious marketing. Thank you. I think I really agree. Nike's campaign is a, is a campaign that I really, really like. In fact, I recently watched the advert yet again. It's very impactful. And it did create an impact in the hearts and minds of people, which is clearly seen by the numbers it got. But speaking to your point about core traditional marketing, surprisingly enough, marketing as we know it now, it is not new. It is extremely old. We are surrounded with it most of the time. And as Seth Gordon says in his book, This is Marketing, he says that marketing was for so long, we take it for granted. Like the fish who doesn't understand water, we fail to see what's actually happening and mm -hmm. don't notice how it is changing us. Mm -hmm. So to give you an example and to understand how powerful marketing really is, I'd like to talk about this brand, Betty Crocker. So the name Betty Crocker is actually a cultural icon. It is a part of most families and homemaking for over 90 years. Betty Crocker was so famous that she was the second most famous woman in America, second only to first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt. Nine out of 10 people in America knew her. And in fact, Betty Crocker was known as the first lady of food. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Betty Crocker is not even a real person. It is a persona created by Washburn Crosby during 1921 promotional campaign for gold medal flower. The campaign was a hit and the company received thousands of responses and a flood of questions about baking. Betty Crocker's name, they created the name to personalize responses to customers' inquiries. So that was how the name was formed and the letter was signed by quarterly yours, Betty Crocker. The signature was also taken from the help of female staff at that time. So this Betty Crocker, the name has been a symbol of strength and it symbolizes the contribution that women made during World War II. Similar is the case with Rosie the Riveter, another symbol of women's strength at that time. In the interest of time, I would not go into much detail about it and we can discuss perhaps in some other episode. Uh, however, to sum it up, the essence of the story is that marketing has a lot of potential in it. It created an image which is engraved in the minds of people and reiterating it again, Betty Crocker does not exist, but still it did create that impact people associated with them. And it built a culture and identity which otherwise would not exist. The reason Betty Crocker was highly appreciated, I think at that time, was because it understood the mind of people. People found that they, what they were looking for, women had questions about food, but there was no one to answer their questions until this mysterious lady Betty Crocker came in. And more importantly, Betty Crocker became a symbol of the fact that women can contribute to the nation even while they were a homemaker. So it was a resonation that it had with the people and that brought a change in the culture and we remember Betty Crocker till now and has engraved its name into our hearts and minds. That was all a result of marketing. Mm 
Absolutely. I mean, Betty Crocker was way ahead of its time, both in terms of messaging and understanding the need of the hour. And if you come to think of it, there is about 90 years separating these two examples, Nike, which I quoted, oh, yes. and Betty Crocker, which you quoted. And yet right. both these campaigns had people and their needs at its core. And this is proof that marketing has and always will be about people. But even if we go back 100 years, marketing has essentially remained the same. What has grown exponentially is the technology that surrounds marketing. Massive improvements in technologies over the last 100 years has helped mm -hmm. marketing evolve into what it is today. For example, take the launch of the radio in 1920s. And with the launch of the radio, we got radio ads. And what this did, it enabled marketers to talk directly to the consumers. Similarly, with the launch of the TV in 1940, and that gave us video ads. And this added another visual element to marketing. Consumers could now see the products before visiting the stores. So therefore, with every advancement in technology, marketing adapted and grew proportionately. But mm -hmm. the launch of the internet is what really created a new dimension in marketing. This digital medium was connecting people by the masses. It was reducing physical boundaries and creating perception of a virtual reality. It brought everyone closer to each other. And more importantly, it brought brands and companies closer to the people. And this signaled the beginning of digital marketing as we now know it, and subsequently, the downfall of mass marketing tactics like print, TV, or radio ads. But at the center of all this was social media companies. They wholeheartedly embraced this idea of unlimited connectivity and though initially they started with the humble intentions of connecting people across the world, bridging the continental divide, uh, things have moved on from them. Before, there were an outlet for creativity, a place to reconcile with one's lost friend, an extension of your thoughts and ideologies. And to some extent, I still believe it's those things. But over the years, social media companies have grown exponentially. For context, a quarter of the 7 billion global population is online these days, and an average person mm -hmm. spends up to 2.5 hours per day browsing through social media alone. And social media companies understood their platform's potential as an effective marketing tool. They saw this as an opportunity to monetize their platform. So what did they do? They started to help marketers by creating tools and features that could help marketers achieve their target audience uh, reach them and spread their message. So, companies like Facebook made targeting more precise than ever, using segments to define its customers by different attributes like age, gender, location, or personal interests. And sure enough, marketers adapted to these platforms and created new ways of marketing to these users. But this kind of targeting raises an ethical question about intrusion of personal space and privacy. Human beings were slowly being reduced to a mere collection of data points created by algorithms designed to track our every move online. Data collected by these algorithms is curated into user profiles, which are then sold to the highest bidder for marketing and advertising purposes. And it just pains me to say this, but this is of our current situation. However, Good news is that we are not alone and many people and countries have taken notice. The EU has the GDPR 
and the California as a CCPA. Both these laws protect the data of its citizens. Moreover, people are actually using ad blockers. And we have documentaries like The Great Hack that exposed Cambridge Analytica or The Social Dilemma, wherein social media executives spoke about the dark side of social media advertising and how these companies are actually employing teams of engineers whose sole job is to use their psychology against you. They're trying to spread awareness around the very same products they created, which are now being used for nefarious ways. For example, take something as, as simple as the like button. What was initially designed to spread cheer and happiness is now a symbol of anxiety and self-doubt. And this makes me ponder, really, has social media advertising tarnished the good name of marketing? Can we recover and usher in an era of conscious digital marketing? An era where I truly believe we can have a symbiotic relationship between data and psychology, where conscious and mindful use of data is promoted. I think to sum up, if marketing is a process of identifying a customer's needs and determining how best to meet those needs, what marketing essentially is then is nothing but a conversation. A conversation that involves listening to people, understanding their needs and responding with empathy. This is very well put, Arjun. Marketing is certainly about change that is driven by empathy. I think we have somewhere forgotten what it means and we now treat people as data points or as numbers on a spreadsheet, but we are not treating them as humans. As a marketer, we have the power to lead change, but with this power comes the ability to create and destroy. In this podcast, we have seen both, the positive impact that marketing has and the negativity it can breed. We as marketers are responsible and obligated to use this power righteously with the sole intent to make things better for people by building trust. With the hope that this episode helps you gain some perspective, this is Rita Kaya and Arjun signing off. Until next time.